All right, hello everybody, and welcome to another episode of the Streaming Video Technology Alliance's Beyond the TV podcast. Um, this podcast is really about talking with you know visionary leaders and uh, you know and entrepreneurs and you know engineers in the streaming space and trying to understand how they're solving problems and what the problems are and you know just having a cool discussion with cool people. So today I have with me. Marcus Bergstrom, who is the CEO of Vion Labs. And uh, Marcus, maybe you can say hi and introduce yourself a little bit. Uh, thank you. Uh, thank you for uh, for having me on the show. It, um, it, it's going to be great. And I don't know when, which of these categories that you mentioned of people are going to be on the show that, uh, that I want to put myself into. Oh, that's all you, man. Come on. <laughs> <laughs> um, but yeah, so my name is Marcus Bergstrom. I'm the CEO of, of Vion Labs. I guess we're going to spend some time and talk more about Vion Labs later. Um, but I've been CEO for about three and a half, soon four years. Um, before that, I was with um, with Ericsson for about seven years in their media division and doing some distributed computing and edge computing and that type of stuff. So now uh, changed the, the the lovely weather of California for the even better weather of Stockholm, Sweden. Seriously. Seriously, is the weather better in Stockholm? Absolutely not. <laughs> not even close. That's one of the things. Like summer is really good in Stockholm, but then you know, come October, you're really questioning your life decision to leave California. <laughs> yeah, I would imagine it'd be cold. I have not. I've been a lot of places. I've not been to uh, to Stockholm yet, but it's on my it's on my to go to list soon. So hopefully, hopefully, I'll get there soon. Yeah. Not in the winter. <laughs> no, not in the winter. Summer is good. <laughs> well, very cool. Well, so Marcus, you know, I know that, you know, you've been at Vinyl Labs, like you said, you know, a little three years. Uh, you guys have been doing some really cool stuff, but I, I would venture to say that there are a lot of people who are unclear as to what, as to what Vinyl Labs is doing and, and really kind of couching it more and sort of like, what is the problem in streaming that Vinyl Labs is, is trying to solve? Yeah, absolutely. No, I, and I, I fully agree with you. I think there's uh, a lot of people out there that's never heard uh, of Ion Labs. So uh, what we do in a nutshell is that we, you know, we're a, um, a company specializing in using deep learning and AI to analyze video, uh, audio and video for the entertainment space. Uh, and it's really about, you know, what we have identified that there is a lack of high quality data out there in the industry today, high quality metadata in terms of how we describe our content. Uh, the data that we fuel recommendations ending with, data that we, you know, base content acquisition decisions on. You know, there's been a lot of work and focus on, you know, building recommendation algorithms, analyzing subscriber, uh, subscriber, subscriber behaviors, etc. But in terms of how we describe content and, you know, the whole metadata enrichment piece has been sort of lagging behind for very many various reasons. Uh, so we have spent, you know, <clears throat> four or five years in, in deep tech R&D researching of how to use uh, deep learning and AI to extract uh, relevant high quality data from the video itself. And it, it goes beyond the traditional, because you will see a lot of video AI companies out there and, uh, you know, that are extracting objects from the frame uh, or, you know, those more of supervised things. Uh, we've gone uh, a bit further where we can summarize an entire asset into single embedding. Uh, so an embedding will be into technical kind of a summarization. It's a summarization of an entire long form, uh, long form asset. And from this summarization, we can extract more 
high <clears throat> sort of high uh, conceptual context such as keywords, genres, uh, moods, uh, sort of sentimental structure of content to really take you know content discovery to the next space uh, or to, to the next level. So uh, extremely geeky uh, company when it comes to to, <laughs> to movies and videos. So, uh, but that that yeah, that's what we do in a nutshell. Well, I know, I know that data is a big issue. Like metadata is a big issue in the streaming space, right? Because everyone everyone seems to classify things their own way. You know, yeah. they represent genres their own way. They represent you know all these other aspects and elements, and you know that that seems to me um, to really complicate content discovery, especially across platforms. You know, the consumers have like you know five or six streaming services. I want to figure out what to watch next. You know, you got to go into each one because, you know, one, there's no way to unify um, that view across them. But two, you know, again, the, the way they classify their content is different. Is, does Vian Labs really sort of help solve some of those problems of content discovery? Yeah, I mean, it's, uh, it's, it's a very good point that you bring up, like the ag aggregation uh, problem that I think we're all uh, facing. Yeah. <clears throat> I mean, uh, at the source, of, of this problem is that, you know, our industry have so many different IDs and so different metadata structures, as you say, and every time the, the industry come together uh, and kind of unify it around one single ID, the only thing that happens is that we add another fragmented ID and a new uh, structure <laughs> yeah. uh, to, to the pie. So, you know, we're sort of piling on uh, to the problem. <clears throat> the, the other problem that, you know, that the industry is facing is that, you know, today the data is, is added manually which means that you're introducing a lot of bias uh, into the data that is out there based on, you know, who happened to sit and label the data at the point in time, you know, like a, uh, to determine the genre or the mood or, you know, describe a movie, it shouldn't necessarily be one person's opinion. Uh, so what we do, you know, we just, we're trained in AI to understand storytelling the way as humans do. So we analyze, you know, all videos, regardless of where it comes from and add a single unified uh, sort of metadata taxonomy across every title, you know, in your library or different libraries. So, you know, so that you don't have this problem with different taxonomies across different apps, across different providers, uh, et cetera. And for us, the truth is in the video itself. So, so to sort of analyze the video file is the only scalable way of solving this, this data problem. No, and that makes that makes a lot of sense, right? But you, you you said something which which is interesting. So I've been you know sort of dipping into AI for a number of years, uh, especially around governance, right? So how how do you ensure? And this is the question that that the AI industry is trying to answer for a bunch of different verticals that it, that that it applies to is how do you ensure that your AI does not have bias. So the reason I ask that is, you know, obviously you guys are classifying movies from a sentiment perspective, and I want to talk about sentiment more, uh, but you guys are classifying it. You're training your AI to classify it a certain way. How are you ensuring that your AI is not biased to a certain way to classify? Yeah, I mean, I think it's a great question, and especially when you talk about like sentiment and emotional response to content, because it's a yeah. highly, highly subjective uh, thing, right? Or even, you know, when, you know, we assign a genre or uh, another descriptive word uh, to a movie. So on the backside of our our AI algorithms, our AI networks, 
is a lot of human input. So we have one of the things that we worked on extremely hard over the last four years is sourcing you know, feedback from, from humans all over the world as an input to the data, uh, to, to the algorithms. Uh, and we've been extremely particular with that you're, we're not just sourcing the, um, the input from people in Sweden or Western Europe. So uh, we, we're making sure that the input uh, into the system is coming from people in Asia, it's coming from people in Latin America, Middle East, you know, Western Europe, North America, etc. So you have to be, I mean, the long answer to, to a short question is you have to be really uh, particular and thought through in how you're building your data sets. Because the bias is introduced not by the algorithm, the bias is introduced by the data sets and the labels. Right. Right. Um, so you really need to spend the time to make sure that the, the input data and the labels have um, uh, are, are, are as free from bias as, as you can get. No, that's really interesting to hear you say that. I mean, I, I think we often think of AI as, you know, somebody programmed it and then it's off and running. <laughs> you know, it's doing everything by itself. But, yeah. no. but you're right. I mean, algorithms need to be trained. Um, and so it's interesting to hear that you're, you know, that, that you guys are thinking about what are ultimately the cultural biases involved in training AI and you're trying to address that by including multiple cultures to help train the AI. I think that's, I think that's really cool. It's almost like mechanical Turk meets AI. <laughs> yeah, exactly. I mean, it's, it's this misconception sometimes in the industry that the work and the, the genius and, you know, what makes an AI ending work is, you know, coming up with this super cool algorithm or neural network design and architecture mathematically solves a problem like 99% or not 99 but like plus 90% of the of the work is like really boring data cleaning labeling analyzing the data sets etc etc you know behind the scenes grinding uh, of course it's not what you write papers about you write papers about the cool and sexy network architecture that <laughs> that you came up with right um, but at the end like if you're if your production uh, if you're an AI company that is deploying things in production, you know that 90% of the work happens before things goes into the network. Uh, ab absolutely, and it's interesting. You know, this is kind of bringing me full circle. I mean, again, I've been I've been in in the AI space for probably 40 years, right? Just reading and understanding, and reading a lot of technical papers. And if you look back, sort of in the 80s at MIT, where you know, this kind of concept of, of artificial intelligence really came to a head and people were trying to develop solutions for it. Like Minsky had his own solution, you know, Douglas Lanat had his approach. And I think at the time there was a lot of belief of, you know, people were, you know, this AI was just going to, it was going to, you know, pop up with this brain-like network and it was going to think like a human being. Mm -hmm. And then there was this whole other group of people that went, and, and that was really focused on on Lanat's work that no, 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 these are, these are really expert systems that we have to train. Like yeah. We have to develop the rules for them and specify things for them. And he, he actually went out and launched a company called Psychor. And I believe they're still around. They, you know, that was the basis of a lot of the um, technology behind pharmaceutical drug interactions. So the mm -hmm. reason when you went to a pharmacy and the pharmacist said, whoa, wait a minute, you're on this drug. Hey, you can't take this is because it was being like there was a Psycorp engine behind it, which had like, you know, hundreds of thousands of rules written by human beings yeah. in order to make sure that 
you know, that the artificial intelligence part of it, the application of it in the real world situation, which was the pharmacy, actually worked. And so it's really cool to hear you say that and kind of like for my own, you know, past informational, you know, gathering that, you know, it all comes full circle. <laughs> yeah, I mean, things usually do, right? And I think it's interesting. I mean, even now, you know, people talk about the AI like it now it's becoming a buzzword. So now everybody talks yeah. about AI. I, I kind of, uh, you know, as, as you said, like AI and artificial neural nets, you know, in, in research papers have been around since, you know, the late 70s, early 80s. Um, but it's, it's almost like, you know, when cloud came for the first time, uh, the, the pessimist said it was just hosting uh, and the visionary said it's going to change the world. And, you That's know, the, right. the truth is somewhere in the between. And I, I kind of see the same thing with AI now <clears throat> as well, that. You know, there's a bunch of companies that are doing, you know, algorithmic optimization that's bolting on AI to their companies and calling it AI. And then, you know, there's more the deep learning space where you're really using neural nets and CNNs and RNNs, et cetera, to solve complex problems. But behind it all, it's, you know, I, I, I draw a lot of analogy between raising my one-year-old son and training <laughs> a, neur a neural net. It's kind yeah, of the yeah, same. Absolutely. You need to trick, <laughs> trick him or her into learning what you want to learn. Uh, and that's, you know, kind of how you do neural nets as well, right? No, and, I, and again, I, I really am, you know, excited to hear that, you know, that you guys are, are understanding and focused on the core technology of, you know, what you're doing and the application of it then to streaming video, right? And that, that brings me back to this kind of sentiment analysis, which I think is, is just fascinating when it comes to content discovery, um, you know, for users and viewers to find content that's related to how they're feeling, how they want to feel, mm. you know, based on what they're watching. You know, tell me a little bit about that. You know, how, how are you guys, you know, how are you guys doing that? And then how are you putting it into practice at like a, you know, at a streaming service? Oh, yeah, it's a <clears throat> great question. And, you know, I think it started off, uh, or let's, let's start off with like how we actually measure sentiment in, yes, in the video. Yes. <laughs> so, you know, we had a lot of discussions internally and what we found out that probably the best way, uh, best field uh, to go and look for this answer of how humans react to imagery and sound is psychology and the psychology space. Yes. Uh, so what we found, we found a model that is called valence, arousal and dominance, uh, which is an old established psychological model to measure effective emotions uh, in humans. And specifically, a lot of it has been applied to how we react to imagery and sound. Uh, so what we did is, you know, I, without exaggerating, this took us quite a long time to, to figure out and, and to, to perfect. But we built a rating system or a labeling system on top of this psychological model, valence, arousal, and dominance. And, and the good thing about this model is what it what it measures in in simplicity is kind of positive, negative emotions, uh, which is valence, arousal, which is stress levels or engagement yep. levels, and dominance is how how in control you feel of a situation. Um, and the good thing about these models is that we can combine the different values of valence, arousal, and dominance. It maps into emotions like joy or fear, uh, or anger, etc. So if you have, you know, high valence, you know, you're positive, you have high arousal, you're engaged, or you're, you know, aroused, and then you feel in control of the situation, then, you know, you're experiencing the feeling of joy. <coughs> so what we then did, and this is where we really spent the most time in making sure that we get input from all over the world, is that we spent years uh, sourcing people from the globe and labeling uh, you know, files and clips and, um, and, and scenes 
based on, on a rating system that we built on top of this model and then fed this to the network. So fed the input basically how humans perceive and react to certain situations that could occur uh, in a movie or a TV show or a series. And over time, you know, the network starts understanding and picking up how we as humans perceive imagery and sound. Uh, and what we then do is that we, we treat all of this as a time series. So for us, when we analyze a movie, we get, uh, or a TV show uh, or a series for that matter, we get kind of like a time series based emotional uh, overview of the movie. So we understand, you know, the fearful uh, parts of the story, the angry part, the joyful, the sad, etc. And then what you can then do is you can use deep learning to compress this into a single, what we call fingerprint uh, that encompasses and that entail, have all this information into it. So it has the emotional information, but it also have all the information about, you know, colors and objects and, uh, you know, sound levels and uh, all, everything that you can imagine in, in, a, in a video is uh, compressed into this single embedding or fingerprint and from that fingerprint you can then build another layer of machine learning models to extract specific information uh, and one of the things that we have then done is that we built another machine learning model to extract the mood uh, of, of a movie so we're not just classifying by by sentiment but we're taking it one step further uh, to, to classify it based on moods and why we decided to go from like emotions to moods is because emotions was a bit abstract. Uh, but if you think about it in the context, uh, content discovery or the context of content discovery, then I mean you're you are based you're, you're basing a lot of your decisions of what to watch based on what mood you're in or which mood you're inspired to be in. Um, so that's uh, that that's kind of. A very long answer to to your no to your no no question. that's it yeah that's 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 kind of where what I wanted to hear right is is understanding you know how you guys are looking at sentiment you know what is what is the movie trying to convey that you are in a sense labeling and categorizing and then the next step is how does a person react to what that movie is trying to convey um, and that's and that's really interesting are are you guys looking at you know I mean because obviously people react to movies differently right mm -hmm. so yeah. like when you look at horror right so horror for a long time was jump scare and then that sort of moved into we'll call it disturbing horror like when tony collette cuts her own head off and <laughs> hereditary right that's it's not scary it's disturbing yes <laughs> um but you know but people would say like well you know i can watch nightmare on elm street and you know i'm not scared at all it's it's joke but then somebody else watches and goes oh my gosh that 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 movie makes me jump every single time are you are you guys looking at the idea of sentiment analysis based on individuals so that at some point there's a record of me watching videos and and somehow reacting to it so uh, i think uh, partly yes uh, so when we when we analyze a movie, and I think it, it's really interesting that, that you bring up horror because I think it's a great example, um, which is also one of the challenges I think with how tags or how content is being classified yes. today. Because there there are even when it comes to horror, there is a scale of horror, right? Yep. Uh, and there are you know, we actually done a lot of analysis uh, on this, and what we find is there is a lot of horror movies that are just utilizing jump scares in order to scare your audience. 
And yep. what, what, you, what you do is that, I mean, what happens in the brain is that you're emptying the brain of, ser like of, of uh, serotonin levels and you're emptying the brain because there is a certain thing that happens with you in a jump scare, right? This anticipation that is building up and then, yep. you know, you get a release when the jump scare comes and you get really scared. But you can only do that for so many times because if you do it too much, you know, you get, you, your brain is going to get uh, numb, right? Yes. Um, so what we can actually see in the data that there's something we call crappy horror, uh, <laughs> which is horror that fails to be scary. And, uh, yeah, I love it. Uh, and we can actually, you, our networks are extremely good at categorizing, you know, um, that type of content in, in a certain bucket. Uh, then it can also, you know, there are horror uh, that is more gory and bloody or gory and disturbing. So it's that type of horror. And then yeah. the, all of these have scales, right? So, you know, what, what yeah. we can see uh, that we, we can't maybe go down and, and measure that, okay, someone is scared by the grudge uh, or someone isn't. But we have so much detailed data about each movie. So the grudge, we know that, you know, it has the mood creepy and scary. We also know that the emotional attributes these movies have is it, it's very high on, you know, like the creepening, uh, creepy, frightening, and those types yeah. of emotional tags. So because we get a score on all of this. So <clears throat> what we can see, you know, if someone can watch, you know, the grudge and right after go to the ring, we know that you have an extreme tolerance for really creepy and scary stuff. Like if I would watch the grudge, I would go to Big Bang Theory after. Uh, like I, <laughs> like I, I need to feel better. Yeah, like, exactly. I need to, I need to, you know, feel safe. You know, someone need to to pat me on my head so I feel safe again. So what what we do see is, you know, how people are consuming content chronologically based on the detailed data we have. Now we can start to really build a taste profile of each of each user that is it's much more diverse than just hey, this is a horror lover because you know, Nightmare on Elm Street is different from the grudge versus yeah, exactly. you know annabelle versus the shining you know so you can't treat this all as horror movies because there's so much more to them and if you really want to do content discovery well you need to understand your content to this level because otherwise you know for me i you know i like a sports movie and then i get fed a bunch of sports movies uh, but that's not necessarily why i watch you know uh, remember the titans or, or race or something like this no and I, and I and i do and i mean i really believe that people are driven to watch content based on the mood that they're in or the mood that they want to be in. Um, like, I don't know, have you, have you watched the show Ted Lasso? Mm, maybe now I need to check. I highly recommend you watch. It's on Apple TV plus. It is like, it came out during at the beginning of the pandemic and it is a super feel good show. Mm. Like it, it was amazing. You know, when I, when, when my wife and I watched the seasons, how good it made you feel at the end of it and then to put that into perspective against all the stuff that was happening with covid and the mm. pandemic and lockdowns kind of like this is what i need like i want to feel good i need yeah. i need a show like this so i i totally understand that um and it's funny when you know i keep talking about horror for a second you know i watched this movie called vivarium have you seen vivarium now it seems like on this podcast that i never watch movies uh but oh. they don't goodness yeah this movie was so disturbing i mean disturbing on a visceral level i literally felt awful at the end of it i watched it and i told myself and i watch movies all the time i told myself i will never watch this movie again ever 
Like it is, it, it was such a disturbing, woefully despairing, horrible movie. I mean, it was done really well. Like it was filmed well, it was written well, it was it was acted well. But the the mood that it left you in was just like, uh, okay, the world is a horrible place. I'm gonna die tomorrow. Like <laughs> it's the end of everything we know. I mean, it was it was, it was truly terrible. Um, but that that makes me think about right. So people are watching movies. You know, they're they're watching movies based on what how your engine has classified them. Is there any sort of feedback loop that that um, like streaming operators who are using your technology can implement so that they can again sort of get more uh, fine tuning and optimization of the data model? So uh, short answer is yes. And there's there's two ways that you could use. Um, I mean, because we always separate uh, two things. One is, you know, the actual just analysis of the video and the enrichment and the data that creates you create out of that. And then uh, the second layer of data that you have, you know, is the user interactions in the usage data. And that's a lot where the, where the fine tuning happens. Then, of course, we have a feedback loop uh, for all new content that, you know, our networks are seeing. It automatically um, sort of teaches the current model about the new type of content and also what's going on and you know things that we're seeing uh, in our customer uh, in our customer deployments because otherwise you know when we talk about AI uh, one of the biggest threats that you always have is data drift right so you build and you train a model and it performs really well but you know over time it's going to start drifting from reality because you're not updating it right so, so there there is multiple ways that you know we're we're making sure that the algorithms are staying up to date with you know new types of content and uh, what we're seeing happening out there, uh, but a lot of the actual fine tuning on an individual level then happens, you know, in the user model and the recommendation model, where a lot of our clients are doing that in-house. Um, so, you know, we have some of our actually the buyers of our data is very often the data science teams at okay. stream, streaming providers, so, so they do a lot of this magic themselves. Uh, we just arm them with the, the best possible tools. So is it, it really then is Vion Labs, you know, you're not about selling a technology solution per se, but really about selling or licensing a, a data model about streaming content. Is that, is that correct? Yeah, that's, that's, that's correct. So we're, we've sort of gone away because what we realized is, you know, most streaming platforms out there um, are actually really good at understanding their own customers and want to have that sort of 360 view of their own subscriber in-house because it's so yep. core to what they do. Um, but in order to enable them to do th their best job, um, they need high quality data. Like, you know, any, as any machine learning engineer will tell you, shit in, shit out. Um, <laughs> yes. <laughs> garbage in, garbage out. Yep, yeah, absolutely. exactly. <laughs> um, so, uh, but you know, we, we do a lot of user research as well, where where we go out to the market, uh, and also with our clients, we do like in-depth interviews in terms of like testing out new moods and how people feel uh, about certain moods, uh, which is which is really interesting, especially when you start confronting people in different cultures about their emotions, uh, the the how you need to phrase the question and how different answers you will get. Like we had we did one user study in Germany, and what we found is that people were really scared about being confronted with you know words as emotions and how they feel uh so we needed to phrase our questions differently to um to to get the most out of it which is interesting no that is really a well, lot but again you know in the u.s for example with standardized tests for college admittance right you know there's been a lot of talk about 
cultural bias and questioning. Um, and so that's interesting that you guys are, you know, you're seeing that and you're having to account for it as you interview people in different countries and different cultures in order to make sure that the way you're asking them questions aligns with their culture so that you're not biasing them, you know, based on your own cultural approach to to asking questions about things like emotion. And emotion is a weird question to ask yes. people in a lot of different cultures. Yeah. Um, you know, that that's are you guys publishing, you know, any of the data? Like, are you making it available at all sort of publicly about maybe like, you know, really important titles or like new content? You know, is there any place that people can go kind of see things about the sentiment? Yeah, so we, we every quarter we post like research reports of, of um, like data insights um, that we make available on our website. Uh, we're also like every time we analyze a movie, we store this data and this fingerprint in a global database. Uh, and we have a, we made this available so you can sign up uh, for free and get access to the data and browse around and you know see see different titles. I think there are some like sixty, seventy thousand unique uh, movies and TV shows in there now. Um, so it's you know browse around, look at the data, compare it to what you have. We have uh, we have a thing where it's called the Comparinator Nine Thousand, which is only <laughs> something a development team can come up with. Absolutely. Uh, where you can take two movies and put them against each other, and you know our network will tell you you know what makes them similar and not similar. Like okay, you know it's the same mood, or you know it's the same emotional descriptors. Like you know they're both creepy, or they're both you know suspenseful, or stuff like that, where they have the same genres. You know, like I see Vivarium has horror, psychological thriller, and mystery as um, as genres. That's a, that's a that's a fair assessment. Yeah. Um, so you can sort of put them together and you can play around with the data. So uh, we, we do do that uh, and, and open that up to the public. Oh, well, I'm definitely going to sign up today. <laughs> yes, I'll send you the send you the information. I mean, that's that's really interesting. What I would I guess what I would love because I have a I have a Plex server and I have a huge number of movies that I've collected over the years. Um, I would love Plex to integrate it so that um, so that when I go to my Plex server, I could filter my movies based on my mood be like ah, i want to watch something happy today um, we have enriched our own flex servers with this data so oh. I, can, I can tell you it's a great idea awesome <laughs> idea Jason. yes I, I want that to happen <laughs> just for just for my just for my own needs yeah no that's really cool that's um again i i think that you know i think that for a long time you know we've looked at movies and and video content as being very clinical in terms of how we categorize them you know again it's actor actress director it's just these very basic pieces of data but you know i think when when i you know when i knew you went to bion labs the very you know the very first time from from edge gravity when erickson i was really interested in what bion labs was trying to do because i thought that you know that's the kind of call it, you know, warm and fuzzy or, you know, nebulous or subjective classification that video content really needs because that's where people make their decisions, right? It's not just like, I'm a huge Guy Ritchie fan as a director. Mm. Mm, me too. And I will watch all of Guy Ritchie's movies, but that's not in necessarily the way that I go about selecting a movie to watch when I have already seen them all. So it's yes. like, you know, what movie do I want to go watch? I want to watch one that's, you know, full of, you know, this kind of feeling like this, you know, kind of 
like, you know, hero wins, you know, and it, you know, makes you feel good at the end of it. And, you know, a Guy Ritchie movie may come up in it, but it may not. Yeah. Um, and so I think that, you know, that's why I think what you guys are doing at Violet is, is actually really important to the fabric of, um, you know, of streaming. And, and it's great to see that you guys are, you know, that you guys are doing well. Yeah, no, th- thanks for saying that. And I mean, I agree. And I think the, we as, you know, movie nerds and movie geeks, we feel that the content deserves better as well yes. in terms of how it's portrayed and described out there. And, you know, one thing that we always say, we push very hard on, like, you know, genres is an established concept that's been around for a long time. And there's nothing wrong right. with the genres, but, you know, it needs to be enriched. And also, like, there is a scale to uh, comedy and horror. Like, horror yeah. is everywhere from, you know, the Annabelle movies to, like, Planet of the Sharks. <laughs> you know <laughs> yes yes and and you know that that's fine but like just because i watch sharknade or planet of the shark doesn't necessarily mean i'm a horror buff and i would enjoy annabelle right and, right and, that's and, a, that's a that's a really good point actually yeah and and like that's also the problem with traditional tags when you're using humans uh, because you can't sort of produce this scale so that's again where ai comes in because ai can look at it and say you know this is on the horror spectrum that this movie places uh, or on the drama or psychological thriller or, you know, even satire, uh, we can detect things like this. Um, yeah, there's 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 actually a um, there's a really great satire horror movie called Cabin in the Woods. Yes. Um, <laughs> and, and it, it and it's it's hilarious, but it could be because it makes fun of all these horror tropes. Um, but it is really graphic and bloody and and filled with a kind of horror <laughs> at times in the movie. But you're right. I mean. Uh, you know, I think, and again, that's what I was saying. Where, you know, it's 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 almost robotic the way that content is classified. You know, to date, with you know, sure, there's you know, genre's been around forever. It's not just movies. It's you know, it's it's a classification system for all kinds of content. But but you're right. Like one horror movie does not necessarily equate to another horror movie. Hundred percent. And I, I, as a viewer, want to know that because I may be in the mood for horror, but I want it to be kind of on the on the funnier side, right? Like, like uh, Shaun of the Dead, right? I want to see a zombie yeah. movie, but I want it to be funny. Or, you know, no, 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 I really want to watch a horror movie and I want to, like, I want to be scared. Like, or I want to be, I want to see the, you know, the, the disturbance. I want that cathartic experience. Um, I love, I love that Cabin in the Woods got, like, it's on the mood that we call gory and bloody, but they got genre dark comedy, which is quite fun. <laughs> that's, and that's, yeah, that's a great categorization of it. Um, and so that's, you know, what are your thoughts in terms of, you know, how the industry has been, you know, has embraced the data model and the data set that you guys have been providing? Has there been a lot of like, oh, my gosh, we need to incorporate this into our streaming platform? Um, you know, what, what's been the sort of the, what's been the sentiment of the industry in regards to the data? Yeah, I think it, it has changed quite a lot recently. You know, about four years ago, it was like, oh, this is super cool, you know cool thing but you know we're still trying to get the play button to work yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you know and then came the pandemic you know everybody had so much success with you know everybody launched a service and everybody stayed yeah. at home and everybody got so much subscribers so everybody thought it was you know okay and everybody was doing fine but then you know six six to 12 months ago subscribers started canceling their subscriptions um, and starting to become more picky because, you know, okay, I watch, I went into your service. I watched, you know, the top show that you promoted. Now I binge watch through it. I'm going to cancel my subscription and go somewhere else. Yep. So 
what what providers were starting to realize when we saw a big shift about let's say six to nine months ago is the understanding for the need to to create a more differentiated user experience. I mean, the data is only the enabler to be able to do so, to be able to provide better recommendations or to be able to provide recommendations based on mood. Uh, but so I, what I would say is that in the last three to six months, we've seen a, a huge increase in interest and understanding for what we're doing, moving away from a nice to have to more of a must have, um, which is which is quite uh, quite encouraging. We've also seen that, uh, which is also something that we're doing that I mentioned didn't mention initially, is you know these experimentations with different business models, where you know ad uh, ad funded like fast channels, AVOD, yep. etc., is becoming a complement to subscription based model or you know to launch to monetize part of your portfolio. And what we then saw also is an opportunity, of course, to use our data to capture um, you know the the AVOD and the fast and the contextual advertisement wave. Uh, so that's also something uh, that we're starting to see a lot of traction on now that, you know, first we're telling, because we're analyzing the story, we can tell you where is the most optimal place to insert the ad, as an example, to not disrupt the story. Uh, we can also, you know, from all the data analysis we're doing, we can provide contextual information about the video so that you can do more contextual targeting that does not violate, you know, GDPR here in Europe or CCPA in, in, in the US. So I think the need for analyze or the understanding of the need of an analyzing video to create all sorts of data uh, has gone up quite uh, quite intensely in the last six months, I would say, which is yeah, which is good would, for us. Yeah, well, yeah, yeah, and that, and that makes a lot of sense when you talk about you know programmatic ad insertion and targeting and making it contextual, and if you can include mood or <clears throat> sentiment or emotion as a as a slice of that targeting, I think that would be really powerful for advertisers. Yeah, I mean, at, at the end of the day, what's more emotionally charged than an ad? Yeah, <laughs> yeah, exa exactly. Are you are you guys, you know, are advertisers coming to you to do sentiment analysis of ads before they release them? Is that something that you've seen or uh, not yet? So what we've seen immediately is, you know, we we kind of call it like there, there's three steps uh, to you know driving the like the monetization model on an AVAL platform. The first yep. step people are coming to us to is just add uh, more ad inventory. Like what they're seeing is that about 40, 50% of, of the content in their platform are missing ad markers. So they, yep. they, they just don't have the inventory to insert the ads. So that's the first problem, you know, a, a broadcaster or, you know, a content owner publisher is coming to us with that, hey, my entire long tail is unmonetizable. So, you know, I need to find good places to insert the ad without disrupting the story. Um, and then the second thing, you know, the second step to that is, okay, now I need to be able to contextualize the content of where the ad is gonna be placed so that, you know, I can expose this to the programmatic ad ecosystem. The third step would then be that, you know, where the industry hasn't moved yet, but where the industry is gonna move quite soon, I think, is to analyze the actual ad. Because the yeah. interesting thing is when you're analyzing the ad as well, now you say, okay, where's the optimal place to insert the specific ad in the story. Uh, and I don't think necessarily that, or our hypothesis at least is, is probably not just so that, you know, for Jason, you, you know, if you're watching a scary part of the movie, you want to insert a scary ad or an ad that has more like darkness in it, 
it could be actual for you it would be the opposite like or maybe for like for me i need a big bang theory type feeling ad yeah. <laughs> to, to make me feel i'm okay so you know what you then would want to do is you want to build another prediction model that is sitting and feeding in both you know uh ad performance data as well as you know data about the ad and the content of where the ad is being served to understand you know what's the best place on an individual basis to insert certain ads i think there's well, so much left to do here yes no and, and that brings up a, a, a question and maybe maybe you already answered this and i i didn't understand but in terms of sentiment analysis of let's say a a, a 30 minute tv spot like a you know some sitcom you know does your analysis look at it scene by scene and, and is there some sort of almost like continuum analysis in terms of you know in terms of the arc you know like hey that you know this is this is kind of funny here and this scene got really funny and then you know and then dropped off does are, are you guys doing that detailed level of of sentiment analysis or is it just holistically on the whole piece of content no we do it frame by frame Oh, yeah, man. <laughs> wow, that's with, amazing. With, with temporal dependencies. So exactly as you say, for us, we're not interested to understand if a movie has an average stress level of X. Right? That doesn't really tell us anything. It could be right. super common. Like, so we always bring up a very good example. Like you take you know, Saving Private Ryan and Black Hawk Down, like two war movies, right? Yep. Black Hawk Down yep. is pretty common or super common in the beginning during training camp and it's a safe environment. Black Hawk goes down, complete mayhem as they're fighting <laughs> the way out of Mogadishu, right? Super stressful movie. Um, but calm in the beginning, same Pride Ryan is different. Super stressful beginning as a storm in the beach of Normandy. Pretty, you know, calm midsection with character building and, you know, you know, get to know Matt Damon and Diesel and everybody. And then, you know, the final fight scene towards the end. Like it's, that's the level of detail that we analyze every feature, whether it's colors, sound, stress levels, emotions. So we treat every feature on a frame by frame level uh, across the entire movie. And it, it, that really then makes a lot of sense to target ad insertion, especially in like a like a fast where you're doing it in traditional, you know, uh, you know, five was it five, twelve, seventeen, or something ad pods, right? So you've got yeah. the three ad pods, and in, in the it really makes a lot of sense to actually shake that up for advertisers to say like, let's break from the normal thing, yes. and let's target ad insertion on a personal level based on the sentiment of the scene and the ad and the person watching. I mean, that is just. That's like, I can't even wrap my head around that kind of data. That's really cool. And that's where we need to go, I think. I don't know. Have you seen the movie Dirt, the Motley Crue biography? Uh, oh, yes. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> I, and actually, I was, I, when I was watching this movie, I was, think, I was thinking about this. Like in the first half of the movie, you know, when they were doing so well and, you know, they're having their breakthrough, and, you know, party and drugs and rock yep. and roll and all that. Like I would buy a Harley Davidson in that first half of the movie. <laughs> You're like, sell me a like, motorcycle. 100% <laughs> I would buy a Harley Davidson. In the second half of the movie, you know, where, when you have, you know, killing them with the car and and all the accidents yep. and the drug abuse and all of that, like I would buy life insurance. <laughs> you'd, you'd sell the Harley. They'd yeah, you'd buy the Harley, Harley exactly. the first half. And then another ad would be like, do you need to sell your Harley? We sell private Harley. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. Put it into an index fund uh, or something like that, you know. Uh, and I, I think that that matters, right? To understand, you know, scene level or frame level or, you know, whatever. It, it Because... If you put in a Harley ad at the second half of that movie, I think it would do very poorly. Right, right, yeah. People are like, you know, I was, I now associate, at least in this moment, that bike that was so iconic 
to, you know, Brett Michaels and those guys in the first part of the movie, like I associate it now with you know, decadence and drug use and <laughs> like everything going wrong. Like I don't want to buy a Harley right now though. That's exactly. And, and that's really important to brands, right? Yes. Cause wow, yeah. that's real. That's, that's really cool. And another thing, actually, when we talk about brand, because now it's interesting when we get into this space about like brand and brand safety. Another yep. thing that we've been thinking a lot about is, you know, there is levels, different levels of quality of content, right? We, we never say that there is bad content, like the Sharknados of the world we call niche. Uh, it's not it's not bad content. It's more niche content. But sure. if, if, if you if you use our, well, we actually tried this out, so we can use our engine or our, our networks to analyze uh, a content and tell you on a scale of one to 10, like what's the quality slash entertainment value of it. Uh, because if like if I'm Gucci or I'm BMW or I'm premium brand, I probably pay more to be associated with like a James Bond movie that has you know a high score in terms of entertainment quality and production quality, versus like a Sharknado who will score low on that list, <laughs> uh, objectively speaking. Uh, and it's actually really interesting. We could see, we can see that our networks are saying that you know the pop fictions and you know the Avenger movies and the James Bond movies of the world get like seven, eight and above, whereas the Sharknados or Mega Piranha or, you know, eight versus shark tends to get like twos and threes. So I think there's a lot of data that the advertisers don't even know is there and that could help them in you know, brand safety type discussions. Yeah, no, no. I mean, and, and brand safety is a big thing, right? Especially like in the U.S. with pharmaceutical brands, right? So yeah. you don't want your your drug appearing against the wrong content because the contextual nature of that could could sway people not to buy or not to ask their provider about that medication. But I almost think that I guess it could, in a sense, it could also be abused. Um, you know, yeah. like go back to Vi go back to Vivarium, right? Here's this awful awful <laughs> feeling movie at the end of it and then up comes a lexapro ad <laughs> for antidepressants oh i was so it's, bad yeah and so yeah so you you know you, you i think i think the you know the having more and more and more data is a is a good thing let's let's be honest it's a very very good thing um and it's it's awesome to hear you know that you guys are really creating this data model which could you know provide the kind of granularity in terms of classification, categorization, discovery, and things like that based on, you know, sentiment and mood. I mean, that that's just awesome. But then I think we also have to look, you know, from an ethical perspective at the application of it. And we have to keep that in. Somehow we have the industry has to keep it in check, right? We can't have, again, we can't have pharmaceutical industries, you know, uh, pulling the strings of people to get them to buy more drugs, more medications that they may not need but they're going to ask about it because they felt like crap and the, the the medication appeared right after they felt like, you know, they felt like crap. With great power comes great responsibility. Oh, yes. <laughs> <laughs> that is the exact quote we needed. <laughs> no, it's, it's really exciting, Marcus. I'm, I'm yeah. you know, I'm definitely, you know, I've definitely kept an, an eye on what you guys are doing. And obviously, you know, at the, at the Stream Video Technology Alliance, I still think there is a huge play for you guys to come and get involved and i think it's different now i think when we when you first applied for us for a grant you guys were doing something a tad different um yeah. it was more focused on the tech yeah. and now like now we have a whole metadata group you know that's focused on data models and standardizing data models and fixing the whole metadata problem so oh, that'd be awesome. interesting to have you guys come and participate yeah we'd love to 
sounds sounds like a really good fit and I, i'm i'm happy to see that that you are you are taking more of an interest to this topic as well because you know it felt very lonely for a while <laughs> <I'm just kidding. laughs> well i tell you I, I i was always interested that's why i I, I pushed you guys to i thought you know i really am a proponent of things that fix content discovery and recommendation because those two aspects of streaming are horribly broken yes um and and you can talk to anybody in the industry and they will say the same thing they're like oh yeah yeah, yeah. it's broken <laughs> but it's almost like you know. accepted that it's broken it's like, ah, i it can't be fixed exactly i can't fix it we'll just you know and even look at like you know look at look at streaming platforms themselves yeah. like netflix like their content recommendation engine as far as i'm concerned sucks i think it's like, gotten worse even yeah, is, I, I, yeah. I don't want to watch ninety percent of the stuff they're recommending to me, and then I'm like, "Why are you recommending this to me? Why? What did I do that made you want to put this in my recommend in my recommended list? This is awful." Yeah. Um, so yeah, so I think this needs to be fixed, and I think the data, the data model that you guys have created, and the approach that you're taking is what's needed to fix it. Thank you. I'm super happy to hear you say that. So. Yeah. Uh, yeah, I mean, and also what I, what of course we'll do, I'll give you a login so you can go in and play around and check this data and hopefully oh, find Absolutely. some some good recommendations of stuff you want to watch on your Plex server. Oh yeah, I mean, again, I'm I'm a data geek and I'm a movie geek, and so you combine those two things, and I, yes, I am going to put that to good use. <laughs> <laughs> awesome. Well, cool. So, so Marcus, are you going to be at at IBC? Uh, I will. I will. Excellent. Excellent. I will be there, and and you know, we'll we'll post this podcast prior to to IBC so that. You know, folks can listen to it and hopefully they'll chase you down in the hallways and tackle you and, and force you to to do business with them. <laughs> I would not object. <laughs> <laughs> well, fantastic. Well, Marcus, this has been great. Uh, right. Thanks for having really me. cool discussion. Yeah, no, it's, uh, you know, definitely going to have to check in with you, you know, probably once a year. So get you back on the podcast once a year to kind of talk about, you know, where things are going. And, um, you know, I'll, I'll, I've I've got I think I've got a column coming up in Stream Media Magazine. So I think I'm going to probably focus in my column my next column on how do you fix content discovery and really kind of talk about what you guys are doing oh, that would be awesome and then let, let's make sure we meet up at, at ibc oh absolutely yes and we actually have a we have an event on sunday night we're uh hanging out with uh cdn alliance uh women in Stream media and goodness i forgot the fourth one uh-oh i'm gonna get in serious trouble <laughs> 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 and and another one and another organization. Uh, the four of us are all coming together, and we're just going to hang out at the. Uh, we've got a room or an area at at the beach in the Rye, and uh, it's a it's a you have to pay for your own drinks, but it's just a chance to you know come and chat and you know. So you should you should you should hopefully drop by if you can. It's on Sunday night, I think at uh, like five yeah. five o'clock or six o'clock. Oh, super! We'll be there. All right, cool, man. Well, hey, this has been great, and uh, thanks everybody for listening and. You know, we'll get this up on the website. Uh, this will be our September episode, so we'll get this up on the website in September, right before IBC, and uh, we'll definitely let you know what the link is. All right. Thanks, Jason. Cool. Thanks, Marcus. All right. Take care. Bye. Bye, everybody.